Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, listeners. I'm Kristen Racanello, producer and host of the Les Lumineur podcast, and today we'll be discussing stenciled choir books. You may be thinking, oh, stenciling is a really simple process involving cutting and painting a shape, and you would be right about that. But there are a variety of stenciling techniques and processes, and many of them are far more complex than we might initially imagine. Books composed with stencils occupy an interesting and relatively unstudied midground between manuscripts and printing with movable type. Stenciling produces an image or pattern by applying pigmented glue or paint to a surface. The key to stenciling is the intermediate form with designed gaps or holes in it, creating the pattern or image by only allowing the pigment to reach some parts of the surface. This in-between, pattern-making device is then removed and the image is left on the otherwise clean surface. The term stencil refers both to the resulting image, or pattern, and the intermediate object. In practice, the object, the stencil, is usually a thin sheet of material, like paper, plastic, wood, metal, with letters or design cut from it, used to produce the letters or design on an underlying surface by applying paint or ink through the cutout holes in that intermediary material. Stencil is an advantageous form of printing because it can be reused repeatedly and rapidly to produce the same letters or design. Although aerosol or painting stencils can be made for one-time use, typically stencils are made with the intention of being reused. To be reusable, they must maintain an intact body after a design is produced, and the stencil is removed from the work surface, so the material they're made out of must also be durable enough to withstand multiple uses. With some designs, this is done by connecting stencil islands, that is, the sections of material that are inside cut out holes in the stencil, to other parts of the stencil with bridges, which are the narrow sections of materials that are not cut out. So imagine the capital letter B. To form this shape, one would need to put two circular islands of the intermediary stencil material within the silhouette of the B. But to place these in exactly the same position each time, these B islands would need to be attached with a little bit of material from the stencil to keep them registered. That is, they would need a little bridge of material. A related but different technique is areography, in which spray painting is done around a three-dimensional object to create a negative of the object instead of a positive of a stencil design. This technique was used in Paleolithic cave paintings, where human hands were used in painting handprint outlines among paintings of animals and other objects. The artist of these Paleolithic paintings sprayed pigment around the hand by using a hollow bone blown by mouth to direct a stream of pigment. Whether these prints are of the artist's own hands or of others is still quite unclear. 
Screen printing also uses a stencil process, as does mimeography. Screen printing uses a mesh to transfer ink into a substrate, except in areas made impermeable to the ink by a blocking stencil, usually made out of a chemical material known as emulsion. A squeegee is moved across this screen to fill the open mesh apertures with ink, and a reverse stroke then causes the screen to touch the substrate momentarily along a line of contact. This causes the ink to transfer to the surface of the underlying material, pulled out of the mesh apertures. The screen then springs back after the squeegee has passed. One color is printed at a time, so several screens can be used to produce a multicolored image or design. A mimeograph machine, which is often abbreviated to Mimeo and sometimes just called a stencil duplicator, is a low-cost duplicating machine that works by forcing ink through a stencil onto paper. Mimeographs, along with spirit duplicators and hectographs, were common technologies for printing small quantities of a document, as in office work, classroom materials, and church bulletins. Early fanzines, too, were printed by mimeograph because the machines and supplies were widely available and inexpensive. Beginning in the late 60s and into the 70s, photocopying gradually displaced mimeographs, spirit duplicators, and hectographs. The masterworks from which mimeographed pages are printed are often called stencils. Stencils can be made with one or many color layers using different techniques, with most stencils designed to be applied as solid colors. During screen printing and mimeography, the images for stenciling are broken down into color layers. Multiple layers of stencils are used on the same surface to produce multicolored images. As I noted earlier, hand stencils made by blowing pigment over a hand held against a wall are found from over 35,000 years ago in Asia and Europe, and later prehistoric dates in other continents. After that, stenciling has been used as a prehistoric painting technique on all kinds of materials. Stencils may have been used to color cloth for a very long time, too. This use of the technique probably reached the peak of its sophistication in catasome and other techniques used on silks for clothes during the Edo period in Japan. In Europe, from about 1450, they were commonly used to color old master prints printed in black and white, which were usually woodcuts. This was especially the case with playing cards, which continued to be colored by stencil long after most other subjects for prints were left in black and white. Stencils were popular as a method of book illustration, and for that purpose, the technique was at its height of popularity in France during the 1920s, when André Marty and Jean Saudet and many others studios in Paris specialized in the technique. Low wages contributed to the popularity of this highly labor-intensive process. When stencils are used in this way, they're often called poquire. In the poquire process, a print with the outlines of the design was produced, and a series of stencils were used through which areas of color were applied by hand to the page. To produce detail, a collotype could be produced, which the colors were then stenciled over. 
stencil technique in visual art is usually also referred to as poquire. It is often called hand coloring or hand illustration as well. The 20th century artists Pablo Picasso and Juan Miro made prints in this technique for book illustrations. Even more important was Henri Matisse's use of stenciled prints, notably in jazz, his illustrated book with handwritten text published in 1947. Poquire was frequently used to create prints of intense color and is most often associated with Art Nouveau and Art Deco. Now, following this short practical history, we will shift to consider stencil specifically as a tool for book production and lettering. Stenciled liturgical books, often made in monastic settings, are known from the mid-17th century until the later decades of the 19th century, and in some cases, even later. This practice probably began in France, and then spread around Catholic Western and Southern Europe, including the Low Countries, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Spain, and Portugal, and possibly even to Mexico. However, we do have some evidence of its use in the Latin West before that time, and even in the late antique and early medieval periods. One important document was written by Procopius in the mid-6th century, the Historia Arcana, or the Secret History. In chapter 6, Procopius describes a short strip of polished wood through which were cut the shapes of four letters, L-E-G-I, meaning I have read in Latin. The device, which purportedly enabled Emperor Justinian to authorize imperial decrees, was used in conjunction with a pen, not a brush, and so is perhaps better described as a lettering guide than as a stencil. The implication of this text is that Justinian was incapable of writing unaided, and this is still an important point of debate today. Seeing as the secret history is clearly an exaggerated text, claiming to report the scandals that Procopius could not include in his officially sanctioned history, it's unlikely that Justinian really wrote with such a device. However, Procopius's inclusion of it here is evidence that such writing aids likely existed in the 500s. Helmut Rosenfield tells us in his History of Stenciling that the method of stenciling was first systematically implemented in France by religious orders, as it was well-suited to monastic ideals and each member of the monastery could participate. However, the fact that some of these works are signed suggests that each member probably didn't actually participate and that this work was done by those trained in the art of stenciling, in exactly the same manner as for manuscripts, where specially trained scribes were appointed to carry out that task. So thus, stenciling can be seen as an extension of monastic scribal practice. I would also like to suggest that various religious orders operated differently, as it can be noticed that some books are less precisely executed than others. Perhaps one of the most important living historians working on stenciled books today is Eric Kindle. You can find a link to his freely accessible work, Stencil, a Descriptive Bibliography, in the show notes for this episode under Resources. 
In this work, Kindle notes that there are very few accounts of stencilers or stencil work known before 1700. There are some early sources documenting the production of texts by means of stenciling that occur in the second half of the 17th century. There's also a brief description of stencil duplicating by Christian Hudgens in 1669, who was a member of the Royal Academy of Sciences in Paris. There's one lengthy and detailed description of text stenciling by Giles Filiou de Billet, written in the late 1690s, a figure who's also associated with the Academy in Paris. There are later sources that discuss stencil work from before 1700 or identify stencil markers active in monastic institutions in the 17th century, but very few come from the period itself. Many sources throughout the 18th century make brief reference to stencilers or stencil work. In each instance, the religious context for stenciling is identified specifically. Gotthelf Fischer's work in 1801 was the first attempt to construct a synoptic history of stenciling. Fischer was an anatomist, entomologist, and paleontologist, and also a professor and librarian at the University of Mainz. While there, he became acquainted with the work of the 18th century stencil maker Johann Calidus Reynard and with liturgical books stenciled by Thomas Bauer in the years around 1780. Bauer's work had come into the possession of the university after the closure of Maine's Carthusian Monastery in 1781, which was where Bauer had composed these stenciled books. Fisher sets out a summary history of stenciling before providing an account of Bauer's books and the work of Renard, who, in addition to making and supplying stencils to the Carthusian monastery, conducted stenciling workshops there and at other monasteries in the region. Fisher, as well as two other important early 19th century historians, Breitkopf and Jansen, all praise stencil making in Paris. At the end of the 18th century, Sievers reports on liturgical book stenciling at the Papal Chapel in Rome and its recent abandonment there. Finally, the advertisements of Paris stencil entrepreneur Bresson de Millard placed in French journals regularly over three and a half decades beginning in the mid-1740s offer an exceptional view of his commercial activities. A shift occurred in the 1800s in stenciling practice. Although stenciling was not completely abandoned in monastic contexts, the majority of stenciling moved into the secular realm. Sources on stenciling in contemporary secular contexts note that, for the most part, stenciling was done in English in the 19th century. Of note are Babbage's 1832 description of stenciling as a means of mechanical copying, and other sources that record stencil use by architects, engineers, and surveyors, a predominantly British practice. Only later, in the 20th century, do we see more attention paid to liturgical stencils. Ava Judd O'Mara's work in 1933, Notes on Stenciled Choir Books, was the first extended scholarly treatment of stenciled liturgical books and stencil making. But what did these stenciled choir books look like? 
We currently have a stenciled choir book at Les Meuniers that is a rather curious example, and one that has the added advantage of including richly illuminated initials. This is TM994, the choir book with selected texts for the Mass and Office in Latin, with some Italian, and this is a stenciled book on paper with musical notation, made in Italy during the 18th century. It was certainly made for someone in or close to the rare purist order, that is, the order of the pious schools, possibly to celebrate the sanctification of the founder of the order, St. Joseph Calsanctius, who was canonized in 1767, although there are markers suggesting that this was made at a slightly later date. Bound in an original gold-tooled armorial binding, this handsome manuscript depicts an ecclesiastic coat of arms, charged with three strawberries surmounted by an ecclesiastical hat with six tassels on each side and borders on both covers. The founder of the Pierist order, St. Joseph Calsanctius, lived from 1556 to 1648. He was born in Spain near Aragon. He studied law and theology and pursued an ecclesiastic career first in Spain and then in Rome, where he took up the cause of the education of neglected and homeless children, ultimately founding the first free public school in Europe in 1597. From 1602, he lived in a community with others dedicated to teaching, laying the foundation of the Order of Pierists in 1617. Throughout the rest of his life, he advocated for the right to free education for the poor and famously was one of Galileo's supporters. He was canonized on July 16, 1767. The mission of the purist order continues to be education, and in particular the free education of the poor. Today, it is an international order that runs schools in many different countries. Stenciled manuscripts like this one are unique items, like handwritten manuscripts, but were produced using a mechanical aid, and so in that sense, they're closer to printed books. Here, the text, including the rubrics, running lines, and other headings, and the musical notation were all constructed with stencil templates. This example, however, is a hybrid since it includes painted initials in the medieval style, done very skillfully by hand. This is a beautiful, clean stencil book, and as with most choir books, it's quite large at 12 and a half by 18 inches, or 460 by 320 millimeters. The five large hand-lettered illuminated initials are exquisite examples of neo-medieval manuscript painting. They occupy the equivalent of one line of text plus a musical stave. Each of these illuminated initials is accompanied by further flourishes, including beautifully detailed scrolling vine leaves and other vegetation. It is difficult to judge how many stencil books are still extant. Descriptions of these books often fail to recognize or even record the process. There has been no attempt yet at a general census, although it is a topic that is increasingly, in recent years, attracted the attention of scholars of the history of the book. So that's all for today's episode on stenciled books, and I hope that you had a wonderful holiday break. 
In other news, the winter show in New York has unfortunately officially been canceled. Please stay tuned here for more information about our upcoming fairs and exhibitions. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast and even to share this podcast with a friend who might be interested. We would really love to hear your thoughts on this episode's topic. Do you know something about this unusual medium that can help us expand our understanding? Let us know. You can find out more about the choir book discussed on our website, and you can reach out with comments and questions through our social media at Listening Year. Thanks for listening.